something I'd like to uh, add another dimension to our mindfulness practice, which is uh, the third, what's, what is called in the Satipatthana Sutta, the third foundation of mindfulness, which is the area of mind and mind states. And, of course, all these things are happening simultaneously. You know, the body is still bodying, and Vedana are still arising, and the mind's been there all this time. But in order to talk about these things, it's sort of helpful to tease them apart and talk about them separately. But um, as we observe what's going on moment to moment, all these dimensions are happening simultaneously. And all we're doing is shifting the focus to pay a little extra attention to particular dimensions of experience. It's not that we're leaving one behind and progressing to something more advanced or anything like that. So the third foundation is the foundation of citta. And you might have heard us kind of bouncing around a little bit in our languaging between talking about the heart and talking about the mind. Citta is a difficult word to translate, to put the finger on, but it's um, that which knows and feels our experience, the thing that gets happy or sad, or the thing that feels suffering or freedom, really. We talk about the liberation of the citta, and that's not the it overlaps with, but it's not the same as the thinking mind, for which there's another word in Pali. And, but it, and we t- may, so maybe in some ways it's helpful to talk about it as the heart. It's something that's sensitive and, and feels. It resonates with experience and responds to experience or reacts to it. But we also can't really find it in the physical heart. Um, and, and I guess it's, you know, it's closely tied to perhaps the ultimate mystery of existence, you know, what consciousness is and where it is. But anyway, heart-mind is the, the best translation we can come up with. Maybe your psyche or whatever. But it's this bit of us that is always in a state of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not always a, a state state, but we're always, we're always in a mood, just as you could say that the weather is always doing something, whether it's a bright sunny day or a foggy day or a hurricane or a, or a you know, tempest. Or, there's always something happening with the weather. And when we look out at the world, it's always you know, through the, the prism of that weather system and the same with the chitta, it's always in some kind of mood, and that colours the way that we look at and perceive the world. And so being um, steady or uh, unflustered by the different um, weather patterns that can pass through our chitta, and having some skill at working with them, is, has a, perhaps more impact on our state of happiness or our felt state of well-being than, than anything else that we can do in our practice. And so we want to begin to direct some attention to this. 
one thing to say is that the, the mind is not, the heart-mind is not separate from the, the body. And the, the Buddha's teaching predates this kind of more modern um, you know, Western uh, dichotomization or polarization of mind and body. And so you notice when you're in a mood or a, a, when there's an emotion present, it's present both in the mind and in the body, and actually that these two things influence one another. And we can, to some extent, harness that process. One of the things that we can notice is that when we're in a particular mind state, it feels like that's how it is. It tends to feel permanent. And yet, actually, if we look back over the course of the day, how many different moods has the mind been in? It's also difficult to get perspective on them because... it's hard to separate the mood from the mind that's looking at it. So it's really valuable to to learn and to keep practicing as we're doing these skills of steadying and resourcing ourselves, of really anchoring attention in the body, and to thereby to to learn the ability, ability to decenter ourselves or disidentify from different aspects of our experience to get enough space from them that we can actually see that they're happening. So to actually name, identify and name a mood or a, a mind state, the hindrances that Yuka spoke about the other afternoon are examples of mind state to actually recognize and name them as happening. We already have a bit of space, a bit of perspective. One of the helpful things to do is to learn to identify the the energetic signatures or the felt senses of our different moods in the body. And some of them are easy to put into words and some of them aren't. It may just be there's a kind of a kind of sense of a fog or a shade or a tone or a a vibe. We talk about feeling blue, for example. So the emotion or the mood is is a physiological and embodied experience. If you think about anger, for example... The mind doesn't tell, tell us we're angry. It just tells us they're wrong or we're right. You know? <laughs> and our task as meditators is to learn to identify, oh, this is anger. Anger is present. And that's a lot more of a balanced and empowered place than being already down, they're wrong and I'm right. You know? And then we can really feel what does anger feel like in the body. And the Buddha had these great metaphors of it being like there's a, you're a, you've got a fever or you're like a pot of boiling water. So in this third foundation, uh, the particular states of mind that are named are around these, what are seen as the sort of root problems in the, in the Dharma teaching of greed, hatred, hatred and delusion. So forms of greed would be the mind that's full of wanting or lust 
or craving. Hatred is when there's anger there or even like mild aversion. Delusion would be things like confusion or distraction or even indifference. It's a kind of form of delusion. And some, some moods and mind states maybe correspond to emotions that we're familiar with identifying and naming. But the Buddha also talks about knowing if the mind is cramped or spacious. Or is it distracted or undistracted? Is, there, is it with or without kindness? So each of us as individuals and in different cultures, we maybe have different vocabularies for emotions, different things that we might notice and identify. And it's not really about getting the right description for what's happening. That can be useful to name and identify something, but if you can't name it, name it or you know, identify it perfectly, that's fine. It's like not knowing. It's also a good way to recognize, well, I, don't, I feel like there's this mood and it's a bit antsy, I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's fine. It's really about not so much the, the, the naming and the labeling and the describing, but actually being attuned to what's there, to feeling it and not being carried away by it. So we can practice within, within our mindfulness, listening to, listening for, feeling, sensing the mood that's present, the <clears throat> moods that color, that's coloring the way we're looking out at the world. And then it's possible from there to choose a response. And actually the, the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta are simply to know when a mood is present in the mind and to know when it's absent and to watch the arising of moods and the passing away of moods. We don't have to do much to interfere. We can just begin to develop an equ- equanimity and a certain sense of independence from our moods. And so, you know, if we, generally speaking, if we leave a difficult mood alone, uh, it will pass away by itself. But what happens when we're in a difficult mood is usually because the world is coloured by that, that mood, we start reacting, relating to the world in that way with our thoughts, with uh, what we do. And so it just reinforces, it reinforces that mood. Whereas if we can back off and not let that dictate either our thinking or our our behaviour, then the mood just has a chance to subside by itself. I can't remember what I heard about the the kind of the length of time it it takes for an emotion to cycle through the body, but it's something actually remarkably short if we don't pick it up. And with happy moods you know it's it's the same thing you know if we if we kind of hold on to them and try to get them to stay and you know make that the benchmark of I'm only okay as long as I can sustain this happy mood that's also not a recipe for ease 
yeah. and generally it interferes with the feeling of well-being. So we can also just watch, enjoy and appreciate the happy moods that are there without needing to make a project of trying to manipulate life to sustain them. And it, this practice also kind of ties into to the question yesterday of feeling tones. You can notice that different, different moods or mind states come with a feeling tone. They also often arise in response to a feeling tone, don't they? So we can, we can notice this process of one thing conditioning another. So this is another thing we can add to our practice today, to just bring some awareness to the mood that's present. Sometimes it can be helpful to gently apply an antidote. You know, if we can, we can patiently watch and observe the comings and goings of moods, but if we get really you know, bogged down in a difficult mood, say a mood of aversion or sadness, What's it like to invite a thought of appreciation into the mind or a thought of kindness? You know, maybe a little boost of the meta practice that you did yesterday. Sometimes, you know, doing something different like going for a brisk walk can shift a mood. So it's not to say that you, you never respond in this practice to the mood, mood that's there. But actually, um, we, don't need to, we don't need to be micromanaging all of them. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, that's enough and we'll practice together. So we'll just practice as we have been and then bring this also into the, into the arena. So as always, beginning in an unhurried way, finding your seat. Making contact with the ground. finding that point of balance where you can be upright with as little effort or strain as possible. Sensing the earth beneath you and the 
dignity of the body rising into space, open and receptive. You can notice whether even just that establishing of your posture, taking your seat, even if there were only very small adjustments you made to your posture, has that done anything to the poise of the mind, to the state of the mind? Maybe asking yourself the question, how is the mind right now? Not worrying about a right answer so much as just listening in. Giving your heart-mind the message that you care about its state and its well-being. Maybe beginning again with just checking that we're here with the body. Receiving the sensations of the body as they arise in awareness. Touch of feet, seat, hands. might sense the presence of the elements in the body. Earthiness.
fluidity. Warmth, movement, space. You might notice the sounds around us in the room. the movement of the breath. You might notice whether experience overall has a particular feeling tone or whether there's particular aspects of the experience that have a very noticeable feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant. these things coming and going in the space of awareness.
from time to time, just noticing. Is there a mind state now that I can be aware of? What is the mood in the mind? Judging pushing it away, just recognizing, oh, right now it feels like this. This is how it feels in the mind-body system when this mood is present, this feeling is present. Letting the mind incline towards resting with the anchor that's supporting you. Letting that center us, steady us. When the mind rests with the anchor, what's the mood or experience in the mind?
We find ourselves pulled away into some scenario. What's the mood of the mind then? What's the mind state or the mind states? How are they felt in the body? (coughs) Holding them with a spacious, friendly... Curiosity. We can continue to practice in this way when there's nothing particular pulling the attention, letting the the mind come to rest, to balance with the anchor. Just from time to time checking in how the mind is right now. When it's pulled somewhere, noticing this dimension of mood and mind state. Making space for it to just be held in this friendly, receptive, interested, non-judgmental awareness.
So what Jaya spoke about, learning to become aware, mindful of mind states, is really a very significant shift that can happen in our experience. It's really, really key in our practice to make this shift from being in a mind state and being aware of a mind state. These are worlds apart, really. It's so different to see through the lenses, as Jaya explained, through these colored lenses of a mind state and just seeing this as the truth, how things are, and having the awareness of the mind state through which we are experiencing the world. Yes, And being on retreat and going through our days, as we see these changing weather patterns that she spoke about, this can really help us to develop this more spacious perspective, just seeing, okay, they are not as solid, they are not as eternal as they seem. But what we need in order to see that is a very continuous awareness, because usually our awareness is not steady enough. We feel a strong emotion maybe, some challenging mind state, and we immediately get lost in it totally, in all the stories. And we are not really aware of the mind state changing. We don't see how it actually changes. We might be in a very difficult mind state and hear the lunch bell ringing. And this can completely change the situation. Or we might remember, oh, I need to do um, small laundry or whatever. And just to become aware of the weather conditions as they are changing is so, so helpful. So I'd just like to encourage you to really pay attention to developing a very seamless and and continuous um, awareness that can really see how changing these mind states are, how they arise and how they pass if we don't hold on to them, if we don't feed them. Of course, we can nourish them, we can feed them, we can fuel them. We just need to think the right things, how this other person is doing it on purpose or so. But if, if we can just drop this, we can really see, yes, as she said, they, they are just passing. And we develop the ability to be aware. So this is really a difference, you know, normally being totally in a mind state, being entangled. I think she used that word yesterday, you know, the mind that is entangled in a mind state and the mind that is aware. So that's so fascinating to see this difference, to discover, oh, there is an awareness that is not the mind state. There is a difference between a mind state, being very angry, furious, fearful, longing, craving, and there is an awareness that knows, that simply knows. 
And that is in a way okay with whatever is happening. Whatever is happening can just be known. I remember a few years ago, I was really struck. I was uh, on my way to give a talk in Switzerland and I received a phone call. Where are you? And then I realized I was one hour late. It was such a moment of stress. I was just one hour late and not yet there. And so, and it was so fascinating to realize in that moment there was a lot of stress and busyness. What am I going to do? I need to get a taxi and immediately rush there. And there was another level where the mind just saw this happening. And there was just like one level that was just aware, okay, this is not good, but <laughs> it, it, was, it, was not, it was just so fascinating. There was no stress about the stress. Yes? There was just awareness. Oh, I messed that up, but okay, yeah. Awareness of this happening. And this is what we can learn, this awareness of the whatever is happening. And what is really helpful is just to pay attention to the language we are using. You know the difference between being a mind state, I am angry, I am sad, I am fearful, or being aware there is fear, there is anger, whatever. So um, it's really, it's a big area that we can include in our practice and learn to become aware of the space. She spoke about the space of awareness, having a sense of there is like this vast sky of awareness. I love this metaphor of the sky in which all these different mind states can just arise and pass and the sky is in no way disturbed by whatever is happening. So we don't need to be afraid of, of those difficult mind states. We just let them pass through our being and not a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, just an encouragement to really try to develop this continuous awareness, mindfulness, curiosity, remember ground, remember presence in walking, in going to the bathroom, standing in the queue, eating, whatever. Good, and there will be another POC affinity group today at 6.30. And is there anything else? And yes. So we have another walking period and again groups. And again, if you would kindly leave those who have groups, leave the hall early. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.